You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Heart Matters, where leading cardiology experts explore the latest trends, technologies, and clinical developments in cardiology practice. Your host for Heart Matters is Dr. Doug Weaver, immediate past president of the American College of Cardiology. Will drug-eluting stents prove safer and more effective without a metal structure? For all their merits, current stent technologies still present a series of drawbacks, including the severe complication of late thrombosis. Biodegradable stents may hold the key to minimizing this and other concerns. One of the most promising areas of research in this area. Our guest today is Dr. Marty Leon, an interventional cardiologist and associate director of the Center for Interventional Vascular Therapy at Columbia University Medical Center in New York City. Welcome, Dr. Leon. Thank you, Dr. Weaver. Marty, can you tell us a little bit first about what are the currently available stents that are out there right now, including both bare metal and drug-eluting and their differences? Well, bare metal stents were first introduced in the United States in 1994. They have evolved dramatically over the subsequent almost 15 years. They are now thinner. They are now much more flexible. They're on more flexible delivery systems, and they have some improved properties. In fashion now are different alloys, generally made of cobalt derivatives, and these devices now can navigate almost anywhere in the coronary tree. They have the great benefit of being easy to use, very predictable in their outcomes, but they still do cause a relatively high frequency of instant restenosis, particularly in high-risk subsets such as diabetics or patients with diffuse disease, long lesions, or in smaller vessels. As a result, for a period of many years, we worked on the solution to restenosis, which is to put a drug that would be locally delivered on that very same stent platform to prevent neointimal hyperplasia or restenosis. So drug-eluting stents became available in 2003, was the first, the sirolimus-eluting stent, and then 2004, which was the second, the paclitaxel-eluting stent. So these were bare metal stents. It was the earlier stainless steel platform, not the newer, more flexible cobalt alloys. So they were not quite as deliverable, but they had the virtue of being able to elute drug into the vessel wall and were profoundly effective in reducing restenosis. What we didn't realize in those early years was that there was a price to pay, either the drug in terms of its significant effect on vessel wall healing or the polymer itself, which was carrying the drug and regulating its release kinetics, induced some pathobiologic changes in the vessel wall. And those changes have resulted in a low frequency but finite number of cases of late and very late stent thrombosis, necessitating much longer obligatory dual antiplatelet therapy. So that had been the dark side of drug-eluting stents. Restenosis profoundly reduced to maybe 5% or even less, but this issue of a new complication. So just this year, we've had two newly approved drug-eluting stents in the United States. The first is a zoterolimus-eluting stent, which is a serolimus analog on a very different release kinetic platform. The second is an everolimus-eluting stent, also on a biostable polymer platform. Now, both of these new stents have the thinner strut, very flexible cobalt alloy backbone, so they're very easy to deliver. So this is a major improvement over the first generation, very much like the current best bare metal stents. But they also have the virtue, we think, that at least the data we currently have with the Zotarolimus eluding stent indicates that it appears to be safer than the first generation drug eluding stents because the polymer is much more biocompatible, healing responses are much more predictable, and the drug itself is released more quickly. So we're confident, at least, that safety seems to be improved with one of these new 
drug-eluting stents. The second, the everolimus-eluting stent, in direct randomized trial comparisons, suggests a significant improvement in efficacy and even lower restenosis rate than first-generation devices. So I think we've improved the technology now that we have very modern, deliverable drug-eluting stents that may have both safety and efficacy benefits over the earlier generations. Does the drug matter, as far as we know? It sounds like even the polymer matters and that this is evolving our understanding of the biology of these things. It's a great question, Doug. We think that, uh, frankly, the drug probably doesn't matter as much as long as you're within a drug class at a reasonable dose and release kinetics within a window. So serolimus, the parent compound of what we call the limuses, is probably no better or worse than everolimus or zoterolimus or several other analogs that are being used outside the United States. Paclitaxel, the other drug, is also effective but doesn't have as liberal a dose window. So at higher doses, greater toxicity at lower doses, less efficacy, so a little bit less predictable. The polymer definitely matters, and many of these polymers can be reactive, they can be inflammatory, they can be thrombogenic, and we didn't realize how much in the early days. Very, very interesting. I note that you say that most of these things are now made of cobalt alloys, and is that primarily to make them more flexible and deliverable, or is there something else about the metal scaffolding that's, uh, that's important? Again, a good question. Cobalt is an interesting alloy because it maintains the radio opacity. It's more radio dense, even though you can thin the material. By thinning the material, it improves flexibility. It reduces profile, so it does significantly improve the deliverability, but you can still see it, which is why cobalt has been chosen. There are some other alloys that are being looked at that have platinum elements or other radiodense elements, but this has very much become the in vogue material for current metal stents. Should drug-eluting stents be used in all patients? Are there certain conditions that they seem to be uh, to work better than bare metal stents? From the standpoint of restenosis, uniformly, drug-eluting stents outperform bare metal stents. But the relative magnitude of the difference is exaggerated in, in the high restenosis risk patients. So if you have a patient that has a large vessel, a very focal lesion in a right coronary artery, bare metal stents do pretty well. Even though drug-eluting stents might do better, the absolute difference is not enough, perhaps, to justify that they be used in all situations. So we've now, rather than had more of a default approach to drug-eluting stench, which is to say we'd use them almost uniformly in 90% of patients, we have a much more selective attitude about how to use them. So clearly, the patient's ability to comply with dual antiplatelet therapy for a variety of reasons, I think, determines in part whether we use bare metal or drug-eluting stents. There are certain conditions like acute myocardial infarction. We just had the Horizons trial presented at TCT. And yes, drug-eluting stents did outperform bare metal stents, but the relative difference wasn't that great. And in AMI patients who might present in the middle of the night where you don't know the ability of the patient to be compliant for the long term on dual antiplatelet therapy, you might prefer to use bare metal stents. So we think that there are several specific scenarios where there are preferences of bare metal versus drug-eluting stents. And in most centers now, the overall use of DES has dropped from that high of 90% to 70% and in some centers to as low as 50%. If you're joining us now, you're listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I am your host, Dr. Doug Weaver. Our guest is Dr. Martin Leon, Associate Director of the Center for Interventional Vascular Therapy at Columbia University Medical Center in New York City. We are discussing the potential for improving stent technology with uh, biodegradable stents, as well as other aspects about stents. 
Can you use too many of these stents? It would appear that the technologies improve that we can deliver them in, in uh, most places and can deliver them to multiple arteries. Is there any downside regarding the numbers of stents that you put in a patient? Many patients ask me that. Is there any upper limit? There's no fixed upper limit in terms of the number of stents that we can use, but I think that good judgment dictates when enough is enough. In a patient that has complex multivessel disease where you're going to be using five, six, eight stents to treat multiple lesions, you have to begin questioning if that's the best therapy in that patient and if bypass surgery would be a preferred alternative for revascularization. So we think that although there's no fixed number, that there was another interesting study presented at ESC and TCT called the Syntax trial that really looked at this. And in those patients that really do have critical anatomy with multivessel disease requiring many, many drug-eluting stents, I think that bypass surgery is preferred from the standpoint of repeat revascularization and possibly also late safety. Now, biodegradable stents have been talked about for at least a decade. Why haven't they made it yet? I mean, that's the holy grail now. That is what people are hoping in, in 2015. We can get rid of this bare metal backbone so we don't have a skeleton outlining our coronary arteries and we can have materials like sutures that degrade over time. It's been difficult. These biopolymers that we're using, the degradation process itself often induces inflammatory reactions. It can be possibly thrombogenic. The biologic behavior in patients is different in animals and different on the bench. So it is a tricky biotechnology problem. Although I will say that there's been enormous progress over the last three years with fully bioabsorbable stents. So there now are several first-in-man studies that have been completed, one that has achieved a two-year follow-up with a bioabsorbable polymer that is impregnated with a serolimus analog, everolimus. Uh, 30 patients were treated and followed for two years. The device appeared, at least in that small number of patients, to be safe. There were no complications. The stent clearly did absorb and degrade over a period of many months and by two years was completely gone. And the effect of the drug was very profound in, in eliminating restenosis. And unexpectedly, at two years, we actually saw positive remodeling or dilatation of the artery with preserved vasoreactivity, suggesting that we had now restored uh, endothelial function of the vessel at the stent site. So this is quietly very exciting. Some of the continued problems... We've only studied a small number of patients. It took thousands of patients to uncover some of the complications that we found with drug-eluting stents. We need many more patients to look for untoward effects. The mechanical integrity of these devices, we were talking about these new slick cobalt alloy stents. These devices are thicker, they're clunkier, if you will, they're harder to deliver, they have more recoil, so the mechanical properties have not been optimized. But you can imagine, as technology progresses, that there is a likelihood that we will develop bioabsorbable drug-eluting stents in the future that may improve safety, remove that metal scaffold, which has major advantages, without incurring any new complications. But it'll take years of additional study. What do you think is next? Will there be another disruptive technology for patients? There's a lot of interesting new things people are looking at. So, for instance, we've used drug-eluting stents because we felt that when you injure the vessel wall, that you need a drug to really abort an aberrant healing response with neointimal hyperplasia and scar tissue. But there may be other ways of delivering effective drugs without incurring some of the negative consequences of putting in stents. So there's a whole new technology 
of delivering drugs via balloon catheters, via absorbable nanoparticles. That's an interesting project that several people are working on. And that may be one of the future therapies to try to prevent restenosis. I also think on the coronary side where we failed is that we've still not been able to identify those patients that have rupture-prone plaque that causes heart attacks and to try to effectively treat those patients. And I'm hoping that over the next generation we'll have better invasive and non-invasive techniques to identify those patients and those lesions and come up with interventional solutions so that we can not just abort a heart attack in progress, but abort a heart attack before it might have happened. So those are two areas that I'm particularly interested in. Very exciting. We've been talking with Dr. Marty Leon about the prospective role of biodegradable structures for coronary stents as well as polymer technology in upgrading the safety and efficacy of stent devices. Dr. Leon, thank you very much for being our guest. Thank you, Doug. You've been listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. For more information on this week's show or to download a podcast to this segment, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.